Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening where we will continue our reflections into this very rich text that is the book of Genesis, chapter 1. What I wanted to do this evening was re-engage where we left off at, well, the end of chapter 1. This evening, I think, my friends, is going to be kind of a part 2 to Genesis, chapter 1, verses 26, and I will get just not through verses 26 and 27, but really through chapter 1, which is what? Verses 26 to 31. I say part 2 because what I want to do is really continue to reflect upon this topical theme of what it means to say that we are created in the image and likeness of God. It is such a powerful, powerful verse when you really stay with it and reflect with it. And also, of course, this call we have as male and female to be uh, fruitful and multiply. I talked about this last week, last Tuesday, but again, I did want to touch upon it again in a more topical way. So we might not go through verses 26 to 31 verse by verse, but really treat this within the context of theology of the body. And I say that because today is Monday, December 4th, this Thursday here in Chico, Christopher West is going to be coming to St. John the Baptist Catholic Church. So if you are interested in getting to know more about the relationship between our study of God and how we are called to integrate that study into who we are as a human being, right, body and soul, then show up on Thursday at St. John the Baptist Catholic Church from 7 to 9, so the evening We'll start at 7 o'clock. I also know Christopher West is going to bring a musician with him. He'll have, he'll have his books there to sell as well. Uh, my friends, St. John the Baptist Catholic Church probably holds between four to 500 people, and I assure you that church is going to be full. So if you want to get a good seat, show up early, maybe as early as 6.15, 6.6.15. Uh, Christopher West, you know his name if you are a faithful listener, right? Because I have treated Christopher West at length. We went through his books, Fill These Hearts, and The Love That Satisfies. And point of fact, I'm actually going to be drawing from The Love That Satisfies this evening. So anyhow, this Thursday from 7 to 9, uh, no charge. Okay, no charge. It is my understanding that he is also going to be here in September for uh, a much longer program, if you will. There'll be a charge to that. But this Thursday, St. John the Baptist Catholic Church, Chico, California, from 7 to 9, Christopher West, don't miss it. If you're not a Catholic, be rest assured, (laughs) whatever faith you belong to, his message is for everyone, because his message is one that is rich with reflection into the meaning of who we are as, again, created in the image and likeness of God. His message transcends, I assure you, as the Christian message transcends. All right, so with that, let us turn to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 31. 
I will go ahead and read, and then we will begin a reflection. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over creeping things that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, a sixth day. Okay, so just real quickly, uh, that word subdue in verse 28, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Uh, That Hebrew for subdue, I found this to be really interesting, literally translates as bring into subjection, bring into subjection. So the idea here is that man is not given license to abuse creation, but is called to harness creation and its potential for the good, right? He is called to use his creative abilities to manage the earth's resources for really, in the end, my friends, the building up of the civilization of love. In any good theology of Genesis, what you have is a deeper understanding that man is a steward, the steward of God's world, not its owner or a master in some absolute sense, right? But no, steward, huh? Okay, that being said, Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image and in the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Now, I want to hear again, as I noted earlier, turn to Christopher West and his book, The Love That Satisfies. Maybe you can buy a copy of your own this Thursday and get it signed by Christopher West. And I want to turn to this book because he does offer up a kind of reflection that will really center us in how to probably best interpret this passage. And again, I've already spoken to some of this last week, but I do uh, want to offer you a part two. Now, Christopher West, in The Love That Satisfies, reflects upon Benedict XVI's book, God is Love, his encyclical God is Love. And in quoting Benedict XVI, he really establishes the deeper meaning of why he wrote that encyclical. And I want to read this. This is from Benedict XVI and his encyclical, his teaching document, God is Love. Today, the term love has become one of the most frequently used and misused of words a word to which we attach quite different meaning. We speak of love of country, love of one's profession, love between friends, love of work, love between parents and children, love between family members, love of neighbor and love of God. Amid this multiplicity of meanings, however, 
one in particular stands out, love between man and woman, where body and soul are inseparably joined and human beings glimpse an apparently irresistible promise of happiness. This would seem to be the very epitome of love. All other kinds of love immediately seem to fade in comparison. All right, now if I was in front of a classroom, I would ask for a show of hands to see if anyone disagreed with Benedict XVI there. I don't think anyone would in their right mind. I love the phrase, fade in comparison. Everything fades in comparison. Why? Because, well, as male and female, in that sexual urge, we are drawn to each other. And so this is the very thing that Benedict XVI develops. He really engages the deeper meaning behind what we intend to mean when we say eros, the love of the sexes, right, and agape, God's love. So what is going on there with the eros and agape? Well, as Christopher West reflects here, the ancient Greeks called the love between the sexes what but eros, from which we derive the term erotic. Now, different historical and cultural contexts have supplied eros with various shades of meaning. In our day, I don't think there's going to be anyone who disagrees with the statement that that which is erotic has become almost synonymous with that which is what but pornographic. And one can say as a result, many Christians have arrived at this place of thinking the only proper response to eros is to avoid it, is to maybe repress it or even stamp it out in favor of the higher and more spiritual love. And this most certainly, my friends, is not the approach Benedict XVI takes in God is Love. And this is the very truth that Christopher West reflects upon in The Love That Satisfies. You see, my friends, rather than surrendering Eros to its many distortions, Benedict XVI reclaims that Eros by demonstrating its integral and tragically forgotten, as Christopher West would put it, relationship with agape. As it relates to its proper Christian context, my friends, what you have in the cross, in the crucifix, is what? But that self-emptying, deeper meaning of love, sacrificial love. My dear friends, 2,000 years ago, Christianity produced a revolution of love in the social order. Not because it rejected eros in favor of agape, because it purified eros. It infused eros with agape. This is a classical truth of not only Benedict XVI, but, a, but also St. John Paul II. Certainly, St. Paul helped men and women understand that sexual union was what? What do we read in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 to 32, but a great mystery that referred to Christ's love for the church. Husbands were to love their wives. What does Ephesians 5, verse 25 say? As Christ loved the church. In other words, my friends, St. Paul taught that Eros was meant to express agape. So often, I have people come up to me and say, gosh, Joe, Scripture is kind of harsh on women, right? I mean, hey, <laughs> What's this absolute submission to men? Well, is that really what sacred scripture says? Take a closer look. What does Jesus first say 
to the husband. Husband, love your wives as Christ loved his church. Well, how did he love his church? But he laid down his life for the church. Men, husbands, if you want to renew your marriage, sacrifice. Lay down your life for your bride. And oh, by the way, when you do that, your bride is going to want to outdo you in sacrifice. And be rest assured, with the grace endowed in that sacrifice, your marriage will begin the process of becoming renewed. Amen to that. Amen to that. Incidentally, my friends, every time I talk about sacrifice, I, I never miss the opportunity to speak to, I think, a very important truth. What does the word sacrifice mean in the Latin? But holiness, sacrum fice, literally translates as to make holy. When we lay our lives down, we make holy our marriages. Yes, as men, we donate our flesh literally to our wives in the conjugal act when we consummate our marriage. But we are also to donate our flesh, sacrifice our flesh for the sake of our bride. And when we sacrifice our flesh, donate our flesh for our bride, again, our marriages will be renewed. Now, St. Paul, the great evangelist, knew well that men and women are not able to just simply integrate eros and agape on their own. This ability only comes when we are what? Strengthened with might through God's Spirit dwelling deep within us, as St. Paul says. Essentially, my friends, when the very life and love of the Holy Trinity abide in us, let us make man in our image and likeness. What is the Trinity but love given, love received, love shared? This is what impregnates us when we live in God, right? This very love that is, that is expressed in the gift, in the receiving of the gift, and when that happens, in the sharing of the gift. So my friends, what is it that we are talking about here? But grace. It comes to those who, by grace, know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, and are filled with all the fullness of God. This is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 to 20, where in turn this fullness of God overflows in us to others, becoming a power at work within us that is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ever ask or think about. This is what Paul says to the people there in the church of Ephesus. So he's writing this because his deepest desire is to teach on agape, the power of agape, the power to love as God loves. And this power works in us not despite the physical and erotic realities of human life, but my dear friends, in and through them. This is the good news of the gospel. One of the overarching truths that lies at the heart of theology of the body, this study of God applied to who we are as created in the image and likeness of God, is that Christ took on flesh to redeem our flesh. And I love how Christopher West puts this, by sharing with us in his flesh the love that truly satisfies. Hence his book, The Love That Satisfies. Now, reflecting upon this truth, Benedict XVI helps us to see not only that Christians need reject eros 
Through ongoing purification, Eros can and must become a path, in Benedict's words, towards authentic self-discovery and indeed the discovery of God. And it is this discovery that brings each of us the love that, my friends, we so deeply long. Maybe for some of us out there, we hear that we are created in the image and likeness of God and we struggle with that, not because we've never encountered God, but because we have a misunderstanding of who God is. The question is often posed, and it is one that Christopher West poses, what is your image of God? I mean, is he an old man with a white beard? Is he a tyrant? Is he a taskmaster? Is he the ultimate law enforcer? Is he some punitive policeman up there waving his, his finger telling you what to do or what not to do? Or maybe he's just up there bored, stringing his harp. Brothers and sisters, if this is your understanding of God, then you haven't spent enough time with sacred scripture. Because if there's anything that sacred scripture reveals, it is that God is the essence of love. Sacrificial love. A love that is so great and so vast that we can never exhaust it. How have we talked about this before? Let's put this to an analogy. I love to go to the ocean, to the beach. This past weekend, I was in Eureka, and I found myself pretty close to the beach. And uh, by the way, uh, a greetings to all of you who I had the chance to meet in Eureka. And as I almost took one to the coast, I thought, nah, I, I do need to get home. But it was then that I was reflecting upon something I do want to share with you now. The beach, sand, water, and the vastness of sand and water. I mean, it is possible to actually count every grain of sand out there, right? It would take probably thousands of people and all of their lifetimes to count every grain of sand, if we're going to be honest about it. But if I set out to do it, I could do it, right? I could actually arrive at a point where I can count every grain of sand. And how can I do that with the help of thousands of people? Well, because sand is limited, Sand is limited. What about water? I'm intimidated of water. The vastness of water. The immensity of all the bodies of water. And yet, if there was a cup large enough to hold all of the water, it could. Because water is limited. Brothers and sisters, God's love isn't limited. It is infinite. This is why Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse 34, that what? I don't portion out my love because I am limitless love, unlimited love. I give all of my love to all of you. This is what the greatness of love is all about. And that greatness is revealed on the cross. Now, you can never have love without truth. So part of love is to be challenged in Maybe some of the hard teachings that he has to say in sacred scripture. Love is never to be reduced to what is sentimental, some emotional indulgence without truth. No, that would be a big mistake. St. Paul speaks to that. But what we are to understand, that within that love, a love that is rooted in who, in who Christ is as the, the way, the truth, and the life, it redeems, it purifies, 
It restores. This is the deeper meaning of God's salvific love, right? Salvific salvation comes from the root word salve, healing balm. God's salvific love restores. And so this is what we are present to. This is what we are created in the image and likeness of, this absolute self-giving love. And this is powerful stuff, is it not? Now, what is the nature of the love of God? How are we to think of this love? Well, once again, as Christopher West reflects, there are many images to help us understand God's love for humanity. Father, son, king, subjects, shepherd and sheep, vine and branches. Jesus even compares his love to that of a protective mother hen who wants to gather her chicks in the safety of her wings. And rightfully so does Jesus use images to evangelize our imagination. Note that image is the root to imagination, right? Now, all of these images are helpful to evangelize our imagination, but the Bible uses another image far more than these to describe God's love for humanity. One that illuminates the mystery of God's love in a way that these images just simply do not and cannot. Hence, it is the image favored by the greatest saints and mystics of the church. In fact, it is not only an image, but also a sacrament. That means this image actually communicates, makes visible and real to us the mystery of God's love that it symbolizes. And what are we talking about here? What does Christopher West and Benedict XVI speak to? But the spousal image, the union of the bridegroom and the bride. The Bible begins in Genesis with the marriage of the first man and woman, and it ends in the book of Revelation with another marriage, the marriage of Christ and the church. I read for you Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 31. We will explore this more when we get to Genesis chapter 2, verse 23. But make note here, the first human words recorded in the Bible are the words of a bridegroom's wonder and excitement as he beholds the unveiled beauty of his bride. This at last is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. The final human words recorded in the Bible are the spirit and the bride say, come. The whole story of salvation, our salvation, my friends, the whole of biblical revelation is contained between the love initiated by the bridegroom and the bride. That which is made possible by male and female and they're called to be fruitful and multiply. And so we have in these kind of nuptial bookends, if you will, really a key for interpreting everything that lies in between those bookends. But there's more. God wanted the eternal marital plan to be so plain and so obvious that as Christopher West puts it here, he impressed an image of it in our very being by creating us male and female and calling us to become what but one flesh. And make note, my friends, as St. Paul says, this union, is, this union in one flesh is a great mystery that points to Christ's union with the church. What does this mean? Well, that our bodies are not only biological, but then also what? What have we already spoken to? theological. Our bodies are a study of God and His plan for the love of the universe. 
as male and female, our bodies reveal the mystery of life-giving love. Be fruitful and multiply. And a union that has been hidden in God from all eternity. In other words, as Benedict points out here in his document, God is Love, Eros, that human and erotic love, is meant to express agape, divine sacrificial love. None of this means that God is sexual. We are made in God's image. God is not made in ours. God's mystery remains infinitely beyond the image of spousal love and union. At the same time, however, as John Paul II once observed in 1988, there is no other human reality which corresponds more, humanly speaking, to that divine mystery than that which is about <laughs> spousal love and union. Brothers and sisters, I have used the phrase before, sacramentality of our bodies. One of the great tendencies today is to disconnect the body from the soul. We are either bodies trapped in a soul or souls trapped in a body. This is all heresy. Jesus Christ came to reveal to us the deeper meaning of what it means to be fundamentally human in the light of the fact that we have a soul. So there is a sacramentality to our body. And by that, we can draw upon some rich imagery, I think. Some imagery that I've spoken to before. How do you know that someone is embarrassed? Experiencing this emotion of embarrassment, but when they have red cheeks, right? There is an outward sign to that embarrassment. There's a sacrament, if you will, to that embarrassment, and it's red cheeks. What about a joy or happiness? How do you know someone is experiencing the emotion of happiness or joy, but by laughter or, or a smile? The smile is a sacrament of joy. What about tears? A sacrament of sadness. We're made to reflect upon this because I think it might help us understand the unity of body and soul, the great mystery that lies therein, and one that ultimately points back to who we are as created in the image and likeness of God as male and female, and how when male and female come together, they communicate a profound sacrament, one that indeed reflects the inner life of God, just not in the donation of the flesh, but in the unity of it. Amen? Amen. Let us close with a word of prayer. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.